0: And so people keep concluding, as an accepted leadership mantra, well, you know, it's, it, we're gonna do this it really essential, important thing. It's gonna be so hard, but it's really essential. And that language is not questioned. It is used all the time. People think in terms of that paradigm. And so it massively limits their ability to contribute at a higher level. This is Jeff Burningham.
1: Welcome to the Extraordinary Us podcast. I'm excited today for the guest that we have. Before we I intro him and tell you why I admire and think so much of him, let me remind you of the purpose of the podcast. Number one, no matter our differences, and we are all extraordinarily different, we are all always a lot more alike. No matter our differences, we all are fellow travelers. Number two, because of that, We need to compare less and have more compassion. Less comparing, less competition, more compassion and more cooperation is what we need in our divided world today. And lastly, too many of us uh, make decisions based on fear, either fear of failures in the past or of an unknown future, and that is a hard place to make decisions from. Let's be inspired together. I'm excited today to have a friend of mine and someone that you all will know. Greg McEwen is with me today. Greg, thanks for coming on.
0: Jeff, it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you again. Yeah, it's good to good to hear from
1: you. Let me tell you a little about a little bit about Greg, just in case you don't know him. But Greg is a well-known speaker, a best-selling author, and host, by the way, of a popular podcast called What's Essential. When you Go subscribe to The Extraordinary Us. Remember to ex- subscribe also to the What's Essential podcast. You may know Greg um, from two of his best-selling New York Times best-selling books. The first one is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, which is, by the way, sold more than a million copies. And I think I told you this, Greg. How many years ago was
0: Essentialism released? Oh, it's been, it's been a little while now, uh, 2014.
1: Yeah, I think about five, I was going to say about five years ago, I was on a beach in Panama. I think I told you this. And I was, I picked up essentialism and I was in it, man. I was flipping the pages and my wife was like, what? I've never seen you devour a book like this, but I just ate it up. Do you remember me telling you that? I loved it. Yes, I, I do remember
0: it. that. I appreciate it. I'm just glad you read it. So I'm, I'm delighted that, uh, that, you, that you found it uh, relevant in that way.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. And and by the way, Greg has just released a new book uh, called Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. He's been covered by the New York Times, Fast Company, Fortune, Politico, and Inc. He's been interviewed on NPR, NBC, Fox, The Steve Harvey Show, and is among the most popular bloggers for LinkedIn. He's also a young global leader for the World Economic Forum. But I know Greg, and I know most importantly, he's originally from London right? And you can hear that. And it's funny, I had Coach Pope on yesterday, and he, he heard himself in the microphone and with the head fan, headphones, and he was like, I need to get one of these for my office. But he's not going to sound as good as you do today, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> that accent is good. And he now lives in California. Again, this is what's most important with his wife, Anna, and four kids. Um, I've known Greg for a bit now. We had him up for a venture summit for our venture fund. He spoke to our founders. In fact, Greg, here was what you, I'm holding up for him, this essentialism worksheet that I still have and referred to.
0: I remember that.
1: Yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? Up at Sundance, beautiful Sundance. And I don't know if you know this, Greg, but I'm going to tell you one other thing. Do you know Fraser Bullock here in Utah?
0: Yeah, I've met Fraser before.
1: Yeah, Fraser's a good friend of mine. Do you know this? I, I'm going to tell you. He has a skiing group. We go up to Park City every Friday in the winter. It's called the Fraser's Flyers. We go fast down the mountain. but And afterwards, we share lunch and talk about ideas. The two kind of founding books, I don't know if you know this, of the Fraser's Flyers are number one, Solve for Happy. Have you ever read that or heard of that? It's really good. Pick it up. And number two, Essentialism, Greg. So we... We have been discussing your books for years. I'm excited to have you. Is this what you've always wanted to do in life? How did you get here, man? You're famous, speaking all over the world, writing books. I love it. Thought leader. Is this what you always wanted to do?
0: Um, Well, the answer is pretty much yes. Other than somehow despite that, I found myself uh, traveling down a slightly different path um, uh, in England until... I was visiting some friends in Utah and, and one of the people I went to go and see, I didn't know him well, but it was Jerry Lund and in his office and, um, you know, working glory fame. And he just said in passing to me, he said, oh, if you do decide to stay in America, then you should come and join this consultation committee uh, for, for a project um, they're working on for the church. And, and I never did that. Although I thought it was very interesting, but I what was definitely interesting is I walked away from that meeting uh, with this idea of, like, well, what he just thinks that's possible. Well, if you do decide to stay, you could do something different. And it helped to uh, create emotional space uh, to consider that possibility. So I brainstormed for 20 minutes, you know, what would you do if you could do anything? And I, when I was finished, I look at this piece of paper and I notice not what I'd written down, but I, I notice what I haven't written down on the list. Uh, law school is not on my list, which is inconvenient because I am at the time at law school in England. <laughs> and... How old were you at this time, roughly? Say that again? How old are you at this time, roughly? Uh, so this is... Uh, so it's uh, after my I, I but, but just barely. So maybe 21. Okay. Probably still just okay, 21. So and, yeah. uh, and so I... Uh, call my parents. My f- mother answers, fortunately, and she says, Look, I think you better talk to dad. So he comes on the phone <laughs> and he, he says, Look, uh, I, I mean, we want to after all this time, all this money, all this effort. What do you say? And he, because all Englishmen quote Shakespeare up uh, over tea and crumpets for breakfast in the morning, uh, he, he pulls a line straight out of Hamlet to thine own self be true. Yeah. Uh, that's what we've always told you, son. <laughs> he'd, never, he'd never told me that in his whole life, <laughs> but he seemed to pull it out right in the right moment. Yeah. Um, you know, and basically, law school was out because what was on the piece of paper and what had already already existed like a golden thread through my whole life to that point was to teach and write, particularly in the field of leadership principles and what it takes to be able to. Uh, to live by principles that can help ha- help you to make a, a disproportionate impact and contribution in the world. That was the stuff that I was, I, I thought about that all the time. I just studied law when I had to. Yeah. Uh, and so and so I quit uh, and started a different, a completely different life and of teaching and writing. You started that right away, huh?
1: At a very yeah, absolutely. young age. And,
0: right. I, I quit law, uh, went back to England for the summer <laughs> And all I did for the next two months, I mean, I'd applied to, I, I applied to BYU, um, okay. I have two months waiting. I mean, I had actually applied six months late for the application deadline, which was of course against all odds anyway, but the, but the more I think about the journey, it was even uh, for, far, uh, further risk, uh, you know, less likely even than I thought at that time. And no one I knew in England had ever gone to the university. No one had ever moved to America. I didn't know. There was no path for me. Yeah. And, um, and so, so, yeah, I, those two months were spent entirely writing and reading. I That's just ended awesome. over. I was just That's- reading books and books endlessly. It was one of the really precious experiences in my life, actually, because it was so uninterrupted. I've never had a time since like it.
1: Yeah, you don't have that chance.
0: You know, there's so few responsibilities. I was still living at home and just waiting for hopefully this little miracle to take place. And uh, and I just I just studied and it became a little that that room and that experience became like a sort of uh, sacred, you know, place. It doesn't look very sacred if you, <laughs> the, if you see the room. It's a bedroom and it has graffiti all over the ceiling that we were allowed to do, very artful graffiti. It doesn't look like that, but it was a very precious place of of like all sorts of insights and and it changed me. And and so the, the journey really has almost been like unpacking that experience in these books ever since.
1: That's so cool. But it sounds like mentors were an important, played an important role. You mentioned your father and uh, the Luns, you know, who had written books before. What, what what has the role of mentors been in your life? And, and what do you do now to mentor people that are kind of coming up? I think, I think a lot of, I know a lot of young and up and coming entrepreneurs that I've worked with here in Utah. And, and even me, like as running for governor, as I'm looking to Uh, political leaders in the state about mentorship in terms of leadership talk to us about the role mentors have played in your life and and what a good mentor is and how you try to do that it's an interesting topic i think
0: um yeah i mean i think you can you can divide this subject into sort of three pieces um one is is seeking out mentors which i did really deliberately once i had quit law school so it was a it was a you know, meeting with Jerry Lund wasn't like me, like he didn't know me. So it was, it was me putting out to the world and every, anyone who met me at that time, I'm going to, I'm going to write, I'm writing a book. I just, I just started writing a book. I didn't have a contract with some publisher. I just, I'm writing a book. And so I would, I wanted to go and meet with every best-selling author I could because they knew how to do this and I didn't know how to do it. So, so that was sort of, that's bucket one is where you reach out to, to get to know people. I think the second pool of mentors is, and sometimes there's overlap between one and two, fortunately, at least in my experience, uh, bucket two is, is where you read books from other people. They, they, don't, they could be alive or not alive. Yeah, mentoring from afar, right? From mentoring the- from afar, and those have been some of my most impactful mentors have been people that, that I mean, some of them, as I say, it's quite a pleasure. Stephen Covey was somebody that I had been mentored from afar, but then actually became friends with him before he passed away and spent, you know, talked to him many times. Um, but I would still say that if the, men- the mentoring that kind of mattered the most was from afar, you know, it was still, it was still other observations and other learnings and, and, and so on. And then I think the third category is yes, where you're mentoring other people. Yeah. And, and there's, but even those can be subdivided because there's mentoring people who come to you to talk to you, you know, okay, I want to write a book. When people say that to me, you know, I I, I remember having literally done that many times to other people, so I try to make space and time to, to answer people's questions on those things. Um, uh, but but I, I think that there's an there's even another category, which is just l- living life as a service where like I keep a networking document now. I didn't used to, but I was, I had, I started the podcast you mentioned and one of the people I had on with Jordan Arbinger, who's like A plus networker. Yeah. And one of the things he taught me is he said, look, if you only network by sort of, just who's in your mind then you can network with like 15 20 people 30 people it's like a tiny group oh yeah i should think about that person and you text them again or you check in with them or you know you can't have it you just won't and you keep in your mind a huge list yeah but with him he's got his i don't know his number now but you know maybe it's a thousand or two thousand people in his networking document and he 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 follows up with them regularly checks in with them regularly but he's offering to serve them regularly yeah and, and that's, that's a, such an important part of a sort of, let's call it a two-way mentoring process where these are people that you want to be in touch with, but you are trying to serve them rather than just turn up every time you need something.
1: Yeah, I think service is at the heart of the, that mentoring, you know, for sure.
0: Yeah, I found it, I found it a real game changer. Um, I've spent a lot of my life, I've spent a decent amount of my life in service one way or another. A family service, church service. Even I see my professional work as, as service-oriented. You know, as a teacher, as a writer, you're in the service of the people that you're trying to impact. But it still took it to a different level, or took the networking experience to a different level. I have felt very inspired to reach out to certain specific people. Like even over the last six to eight months, quite randomly on the surface, just I'm doing something else. I'm thinking. I'm studying. And this name will come and I don't even have the number anymore. or, I, or I, Maybe I do, but I spoke to them 20 years ago and then calling them up and just saying, listen, I don't even know why I'm here, <laughs> but I'm here. So how can I, how, how can I help you? Yeah. How can I be a service? It has been really powerful and beautiful. And one person said to me, he said, well, that is really unusual.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, how critically needed this last year in COVID, right? To reach out for connection, to try to make connections like that's critical. I'm sure that that meant a lot to other people and it filled your bucket as well as we're kind of isolated and life is different than we've ever known it before.
0: It's definitely, it's definitely been powerful and it's also made relationship. It's it's made relationships sometimes almost instant like just in just i'm thinking of a particular person who i spent years wanting to know uh and then i just sort of reached out to them and i just said hey listen i don't know why i'm reaching out to you i just but i'm here to help you i'm here to serve i can anything and i spent the next hour listening to them really listening like deeply listening trying to understand trying to get what they and they just revealed for me what really mattered to them and so now ever since we've just been working on the thing that, 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 that he'd identified as his sort of highest priority, the thing that he's so passionate, deeply passionate about, it was a completely different interaction, 100% different than if, if it had just been like, hey, well, listen, let me tell you what I'm trying to achieve. And maybe you tell me what you're trying to achieve. And let's see if we can find a way to help. It isn't the same as that. It changed the dynamic from the beginning. We're just like, okay, let's, let's mutually figure out what it is that I'm here to do for you. That's awesome. It's been a game changer.
1: Yeah, those connections are so critical in life all the time, and especially during COVID for sure. So let's fast forward a little bit. Was essentialism your first hit, big hit? You wrote it in 2014. Did you can, you were speaking and writing, I assume, those kind of 15 intervening years. Um, but was essentialism kind of the first big thing? Is that what broke you out? Or maybe, sorry, if there was something.
0: I- no, no, no. So, so this is a perfect reasonable question. Uh, I, I mean, I, I went, I did undergraduate um, in journalism. So I was learning how to write, uh, ended up going to Stanford to do business school uh, with, so did my MBA there. And so all the while I was there, I was, there, there was only, there was only one professional thing I was doing, which is I wanted to write Yeah. and teach. Yeah. So, so that was, no matter what, the what, whatever job I had probably to, perhaps to the point of irritation, you know, that that wherever I was, that's all I was trying to achieve. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and so, and so um, I collaborated on a book that did well called multipliers. uh, And then, then my first sort of big solo book was essentialism. uh, And then, as you've mentioned um, now effortless and, and uh, it's, you know, it's all, you know, it's all a bit surreal. You know, every time, every so often I step back and sort of think um, it, did, it didn't have to work like that.
1: Yeah. How- how did you get to essentialism? What brought you, again, to essentialism? Again, this, if you have not read this book, this is a foundational book, something that's been passed around a lot amongst leaders here in the state and around the world, really. Um, and it's about kind of focusing on what matters most or what's really essential. Make sure and make the big thing the big thing. What brought you to that, Greg, you know, in, in the mid, in 2014, what kind of led you to that, that big idea?
0: I mean there's 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 lots of origin stories right uh for, for anything that you do i was i was working with silicon valley companies and i was noticed a pattern that when they were focused on a few things that led to success which led to increase of options and opportunities which if they aren't managed correctly people fall into the undisciplined pursuit of more and they start to plateau or fail altogether and it takes you
1: off course, right? It takes you away from what really matters.
0: Precisely. And, and so it becomes, you know, success itself can become a catalyst for failure. Interesting. And I found that really fascinating because most of what's been studied about and researched on success is about how to become successful. Um, but what isn't covered is what to do once you are successful. Yeah. And as a and, and that is actually a really like that's a that is a problem because yeah. because if you don't figure that out then if you don't learn how to become successful at success then you can start as I said you plateauing or completely failing and that can be true for whole corporations that I mean we could name them companies that were once just juggernauts and then now they're like either gone completely like Blockbuster or they're just nothing like they were in the, in the great glory days and, the, and, and all because of an undisciplined pursuit of more, a yeah. certain reaction to success. And so, so I was observing that phenomenon. I call it the, the success paradox. But then I also had a personal experience where I was sort of slipping into this myself, where I got an email from a colleague at the time that said, look, Friday between 1 and 2 p.m. would be a bad time for your wife to have a baby. because I need you to be at this client meeting. Uh, and you know I'm sure at least at some level they were just joking but I still felt a lot of pressure I felt a lot of self pressure I felt a lot of stress and so that that just triggered enough that when I was in the hospital Friday comes along and uh, a daughter's just been born and I am feeling torn I've got my email my phone out my laptop out I'm trying to keep everyone happy how can I do it all And so to my shame, I went to the meeting as well. And even afterwards, I remember my colleague saying, well, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. Um, But even if they, even if... There's the clock. (laughs) I love it. Even if they uh, had, then, I mean, I made a fool's bargain. And what I learned from that, so now on the personal side, was a similar lesson about success like it can pull you in so many different directions and and what i learned was if you don't prioritize your life someone else will yeah and so that you know if you had to summarize essentialism in one word um it's prioritization yeah and and i it's taking responsibility for prioritization so that you really get clear What is the most important thing to do today? What is the priority today? Uh, It's it's getting the courage and the skills to be able to negotiate what is essential with other people. Obviously we live in an interdependent reality. And so we need to know how to raise those questions with other people in a respectful way that's not going to be career limiting. Uh, And then I would say, so the third thing you have to do is, as when you're in a position of leadership and influence uh, which all of us are at some point we need to be very mindful of creating safety for other people to have that conversation with us yeah so that they can say well this is what i think is essential i think this is important like so you can have that conversation and, and really that's that's what essentialism is about is the antidote is the disciplined pursuit of less but better it's yeah. about how to do that personally and with other people
1: and the most ideas are the most powerful ideas are often simple. This is a simple idea, but hard to execute on, hard to uh, put into practice in your life. But it's these simple ideas that have the most leverage, I think, in making a big difference in our life. It's interesting. Um, you know, I, I was thinking you may have gained respect maybe of that client or whatever, but it was hard probably for you to respect yourself, you know, for kind of making that decision for kind of maybe quote unquote selling out in that moment. And I think we often do that because of other people's expectations of us, right? Um, how, how do you manage that? The the thing I have written down here on my entrepreneurship or the essentialism kind of worksheet uh, from from the from the couple days we spent at Sundance with our awesome founders, uh, startup founders, was entrepreneurship makes a good servant, but not a good master. You're an entrepreneur and you're you're busy. How how, how is that going in your life? How, How do you ensure that entrepreneurship is a good servant, but not a good master because there have been times in my life for sure where I felt completely controlled and run over by my companies. In fact, there were times where I felt like this was a beast. My businesses were a monster that would just eat me up and devour everything about me. Have you felt that before, Greg? How do you balance that?
0: I I have. and, And I'm very sympathetic to that feeling. And the the i mean one of the things let tie two things together that you just said what one is about the, the monster problem that you create something that you were supposed to create freedom an opportunity and success but actually it just it just controls you and limits your freedom i mean it's a it's a very again it's the paradox of success right and, and entrepreneurship's a very particular version of that of that cycle um so connecting that uh, with something you said as an as, as an aside, which I thought was interesting language, because I've heard it. I've heard this language. I'm sensitive to this language. You said you said, "Yeah, essentialism is so simple, but hard to do." And that's the phrase I have heard that for all the years that I've taught essentialism. That that is the phrase people talk about it in a hundred ways, but they 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 say it, and it's never questioned, and it's not a th- and that's because it's there. Well, at some level, it is their experience. Of course, so you're saying that, and and I'm not I'm not doubting people's experiences, but it's how deeply embedded it is that the essential things, doing the essential things, is hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. and
0: that, that, that's why we don't do them versus the trivial things, which are easy, and that's why we do them. And this is one of the reasons I even stepped into writing effortless is because I wanted. I wanted to be able to challenge this assumption and say, well, is it possible that you could, if you use your effort in different ways, that you could actually construct systems that make it easier and easier over time to do what is essential?
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Go ahead. What was that? Sorry.
1: I I, want to, is it hard to hear me? Sorry, Greg.
0: It is just a little bit, but, but it's not, Go ahead.
1: It's all. <laughs> this is, by the way, the first Zoom podcast I've ever done. Do you do Zoom on your podcast? It's a lot harder Zoom than, like, in person, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I've done, I mean, we've all, the whole world is in yeah. so many Zoom meetings. Right. I, I normally use Zencaster when I'm doing mine, but. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I love, I mean, I love the energy of being in person, but this is great stuff. I want to pivot, pivot to effortless, and I want to say, like, I think you're one of the great thinkers, you know, and leadership thinkers right now in the world. What's been on your mind the last year, Gray? I assume it's effortless, right? And by the way, the way that I would sum up effortless, see if I um, basically, and again, another simple idea, but very hard to practice. uh, Life doesn't have to be so hard and complicated. Like we all, almost all of us, make life more hard and complicated than it has to be. I think that is the, you know, the crux maybe of Effortless after my reading of it. What's been on your mind the last year, Greg, and how would you sum up uh, Effortless?
0: I, I came across um, a great story in the research for Effortless. Of, it's quite, it's a touching story um, of a mother who's with her dying son. And she knows it's the end, and sometimes you can tell. Um, I've been with some people at the end where you could tell. And so she gets up in the bed to be with him. You know, she's in the hospital, and she just sort of gets there just to just to be close with him at the end. And then there's this moment where she's not, where her son, her son is not fully here. But she's also, he, he's also not fully there yet. He's in the in-between. Yeah. And then he, he just suddenly opens his eyes and he says, oh, mom, it's all so simple. <laughs> all so simple. I love that. And, and these, these are his final words to her. Wow. And, and that's sort of a, a mantra for us as well. And it goes with a question, which is how are, how are we making our life more, you know, more complicated, harder than it needs to be, especially the things that matter most. How am I making the things that matter so much to me, the essential few things, harder than they need to be? Yeah. And as it turns out, there are enormous, there's so much of what makes the essential things hard that's totally unnecessary. Yeah. And so people... Keep concluding as an accepted leadership mantra. Well, you know, it's it, we're going to do this it really essential, important thing. It's going to be so hard, but it's really essential. And that language is not questioned; it is used all the time. People think in terms of that paradigm, and so it massively limits their ability to contribute at a higher level. Because basically, if you say, if you subscribe to the to the idea that the only real way to make progress on what matters is to work harder. But you are already dealing with people who are themselves overachievers and, and driven. So they're already actually working pretty close to their max anyway, sometimes beyond what sustainable max. Yep. And then you say, well, you haven't achieved the results you want. So you have to work even harder. Well, what do you actually do? You just burn them out. Yep. You burn them out without them even knowing it. They then go on to burn out their most important relationships you know, yeah. the spouse relationships just become just horrendous. Relationship with their kids, if they have kids, is, it becomes more and more strained. Uh, the relationships with their key business partners and so on can also suffer from this. I mean, you start, and, and by the way, what I mean by that is it doesn't necessarily means people are quitting and so on. It could mean that, but your culture becomes more toxic because that's just an evidence of burning out, you know, yeah. another version of burning out. So all of this is growing out of a mindset that says you're hard pushing harder is the way to success that's what you need to do but it's such it's limited in all sorts of ways and so I, I enjoy so much the exploration over these years of like asking this different question how could you make the essential things the easiest things yeah what could you strip away yeah so just to summarize this in context we've got we've got essentialism in one word is prioritization effortless in one word is simplification yeah love it. Hey guys, it's Jeff. Thank you so
1: much for listening to the Extraordinary Us podcast. There's a lot of momentum behind the podcast right now and we are so excited. I've got a special guest with me for a second here, my wife, Sally. Hello, good to be here. Why are you here, Sal? We're
0: starting a new podcast together, which I am super excited about. It is called Under Our Bed.
1: And we are literally people under our bed recording. We are right now. sitting
0: right under our bed.
1: And if you want to hear more about why we called it Under Our Bed, tune in to our first episode, wherever you get your podcasts, because we're going to explain what it means. We hope to have candid and meaningful conversations together about issues that are relevant to you today. Absolutely. Good night, Sal. Good night. It's powerful, like, right? Those simple ideas. You talk in the book about achieving more because you're at ease. You know, how... It seems like we're not at ease, Greg. Like, again, I'm thinking of our world even just in the last year with the civil unrest, you know, COVID-19, so much, you know, technology, so much, our politics, so much is caustic and contentious. How do we achieve that ease? Because I agree with you. Actually, when I'm at ease and in the flow, I achieve so much more. And honestly, a great word to describe it is effortless. It feels like even though I'm doing something hard, I'm in this flow state that it seems effortless. So how do we how do we get more into this ease that you're talking about?
0: Uh, yeah, there's a few things that we can do. I mean, one of the obvious ones is just to is just to sleep more. Um, just take take a take a nap. Yeah, <laughs> that's that can be one of the most counterintuitive challenges for a for a, an overachiever because you know they they just think, as I sorry said, they just imbued with this idea. Well, if I've got X results and I want two X results, I have to work twice as hard. So the idea of taking a nap is is really counterintuitive. But, but just taking, taking naps, taking even regular naps, if you're, if you're trying to perform at a very high level, you, you need rest and recuperation. You want to yeah. also uh, not use up more energy in a single day than you can recuperate in that day. Occasionally, you're gonna have that, right? You, there are gonna be days where you push for something beyond what you can recuperate. But you if you try to do that over anything like the medium to long-term, you will, Absolutely for certain burnout. Yeah, uh, and so and you'll become less effective, and you won't even know it.
1: Yeah, it's like adrenal fatigue, right? Yeah. Like you're burning out your body without knowing it. Now, I've experienced this a number of years ago. I mean, yeah, yeah. So that that's a really interesting idea. Not expending more energy in a day than you really can, because you if you do that repeatedly, day after day or week after week, you create this deficit that's impossible almost to overcome,
0: right? Yeah, and one that you're not even gonna know because the nature of the nature of burnout is that you is that it clouds your judgment. It's like that fogginess in your mind and so on. And so that affects your ability to even see yourself clearly. Yeah. And so you'll start, you will start to have results you don't want, but you'll think that the problem is you aren't doing enough <laughs> and you're going to keep going more Yeah, you're gonna push harder and your team isn't doing enough, So you're got to push them harder. And, 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 and this is just such a, such a dangerous cycle to get on.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: and so, and so being, you know, one of the, another thing you can do to be more easy is to be more conscious about, uh, about like the following things. Like, are you, is, is, a, is the, the latest request that's made of you, however small, feel like it's pinching you. Like you kind of resent it. The email comes in for something, you're just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> if you're starting to feel a little resentful of any, intera- any request on your time or your energy, you're probably burned out. Yeah. Um, if you find that you're lo- using, you're achieving, you know, you're meeting the demands of your day your meetings, the endless Zoom meetings and so on, but you're doing it using a lot of nervous energy. That's a, that's a good sign that you're burning up. So you want to you want to move back off the edge of that edge. The, the optimal place is not to be in diminishing returns uh, and certainly to stop before you get to what economists have called negative returns. Yeah. Uh, you want to stop before that, right? You're in optimal returns. So you, you want to be in a, a position where you're getting a great return on your energy, so your ROE. And to make sure that you, you, you get that line to be just so that yeah, you, know, you sort of say, okay, what can, I, what can I do at a healthy level, you know, but but kind of at my max healthy. And then you want to take a, a step back from that so that you can do it over time. That's the key. What we want, and what the what I'm arguing for, in effortless is is repeatable, sustainable, even perpetual results. Yeah. It, 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 so much of what's been written about how to become successful is just nonsense. <laughs> if you if in being success, trying to become successful. You mean you want to be successful for a long period of time, which I think everybody means.
1: Yeah, yeah. You want longevity, right? Not a flash in the pan. You want
0: long-term success. Yeah, nobody wants to be successful once and then fail. Yeah. And yet so much of what is written about success is about it falls into the first category about how to get successful once, how to get a result once, how to... And, and they're not sustainable at all. Who's interested in that? I don't care about that. Yeah. I have very, very little interest in that in my life. I don't want to get, in fact, as soon as you start thinking about one-time successes, you're going to violate so many other things, burn out so many other things. It's, it's very dangerous. It's very hard to even call it success. Yeah. But, but so, so what we want is success in a way that the success can continue and grow and even get to the point where results start to flow to you. Yeah. The, the take a relationship with my son. Do I want a relationship with my son that looks good for 10 minutes, that looks good in front of other people, where he behaves and, and shows sort of surface respect to me, and people go, oh, wow, yes, he's, he's got good kids. <laughs> Is that what I want? Because you can manipulate that probably to a certain extent. You yes, can, can. force that through various forms of control but am I interested? I'm not interested in that. I want a relationship with my son that is better tomorrow than it is today and better 25 years from from now than it is next year. And that that even 100 years from now, uh, his grandchildren still feel if they, a certain relationship connection to, to their father, grandfather, and then, of course, to me, that they feel the connection. I'm interested in a very, very long-run success. So the way you would build your systems change if you're interested in success that goes on and on perpetually. That's what I mean by effortless results, is results that flow to you without particular effort and certainly without any manipulation or any forcing uh, because those things, they, those things, they, they they just cannot produce great results over time.
1: Yeah, I love those thoughts. I love, we're so focused on those short-term successes and or how we may appear on the outside, right? Versus the work, the more important work that's going on on the inside, in, inside of each of us. And, and I love the thoughts about burnout because I think burnout's kind of become the new normal, right? You don't even recognize that you're burned out because everyone around you is and you're burned out. What percentage? I'm just, I'm just totally throwing this out, Greg. What percentage of people do you think in the United States? I'll say the United States. In the United States, are operating from a deficit and kind of in a burned-out state. You know, I mean, is it like a majority, or, or what do you think?
0: I think that there's two kinds of people in America today, uh, in the United States. There are the first group of people are people who are burned out, and the second group of people, of people who they, they know they are burned out. <laughs> uh, and that's everyone. And that's everyone, 100%. Yeah, you're in one of those categories. Um, of course, that, there, there are some exceptions to that. Of course, there are, but they are, I think, the exceptions to the rule. I think is that there's a lot of people in the first category. They don't know that sleep deprivation alone, we sleep as a society hours less than 100 years ago hours and hours less we've sleep far less than we used to yeah uh, and 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 the pandemic hasn't actually had the opportunity to do something about this but but it hasn't had as bigger effect as it could have done um i was just talking to somebody just the other day anecdotally who said i thought i always said in fact if i ever work from home i'd take a nap every day um he said, yeah, but i i haven't taken one nap in a year of being working at home he could have done every day logically yeah bed there he's, he's got the space he's got he's got the agency to do it but actually he's lived in a zoom eat sleep repeat existence where it's not even if mean, you look at your fitbit at the end of the day it says you know 300 steps uh, that's not even an exaggeration uh, and and you don't even know what day it is there's no you know there's no boundaries and So people literally don't literally lose track of what day it is, and that's because it's just this perpetual. I've got to keep doing in order to get the results that I want to get, and I've got to keep doing and keep doing and keep doing. And so it's a very linear model of results. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's great at all. Uh, it's not great for physical health, for burnout. It's not been great for mental emotional health. Um, but that's my answer to your question. I yeah, I think you either, you either are or you know you are. I
1: love that. You're probably right. And it's just kind of a sad
0: state of affairs, right? Another idea that you
1: talk about in the book that I really like, maybe because I think we were both born in the year 1977, which was the year Star Wars came out as well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and you talk about stormtroopers. You know where I'm going here. You talk about these stormtroopers, which you you could tell the story, but you kind of relate to uh, regrets or grudges or let's say kind of these systems that are running or these thoughts grudges regrets that are running in the back of our hardware or our mind that slow us down that make things harder unnecessarily I thought that was a powerful concept and idea and again you call them like the stormtroopers in life tell us more uh, about that Greg I love that yeah. And well, the back
0: the backstory needs to be told for why that can be why, why stormtroopers has anything to do with this but I was I was was um it was halloween and i'm standing in this costume shop and i'm about to buy uh, a stormtrooper costume i'm dressed in it head to toe you know trying it out first this is an expensive yeah. movie quality type costume and i'm just staring at myself in the mirror looking at this and in that moment i'm like not one part of me wants to buy this so why am I here buying this you know what's going on and I realized that 30 years before <laughs> was when Return of the Jedi had come out yeah and my brother had said when my brother said in passing well you know wouldn't it be so cool so cool to- and I remember him saying a movie quality you know Stormtrooper costume so he wasn't talking about <laughs> you know just like a, some, some fun he meant like one of those cool things and and i get it even now i understand why he said it and why it's cool in a certain way yeah. but i'd forgotten about the conversation but somehow in the back of my mind 30 years of pursuing this <laughs> costume until i'm there about to buy it and i'm like no i'm i don't even want this i didn't buy it <laughs> and my, my wife particularly will use that as a question now like is this a stormtrooper so- are, you pursuing, are you pursuing something that really is essential or are you pursuing something that used to be or that grabbed your attention somehow? And you can broaden that even further to just anything that makes it harder for you to do what is essential. All the clutter in your mind, whether it's outdated goals or outdated ass- assumptions about how the world works, I mean, we're so sure we know how the world works. Yeah, And, and we, we don't. We don't know. Yeah, no one knows. We don't. We're so often controlled by a certain set of experiences and so on that can, that can limit us, in, 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 limit the kinds of results we're actually going to achieve. Uh, it can be, as you mentioned, grudges. Uh, you know, grudges are a particular kind of stormtrooper because you pick them up hoping they'll do a certain thing for you. In fact, I think this is a question people can ask is, is uh, is you know what did we what did I hire this grudge to do for me? And then you and is it a a Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can you can you can conduct a performance evaluation on grudges. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't perform. Why did you, Why well. do we hire them? We, yeah. yeah, we hire them to make us feel powerful. You know, we're we're in control. I'll, I'll hold this over this person. A sense of superiority. Does it make us feel superior? Does it actually make us powerful, or does it make us feel weak and vulnerable all the time? Uh, and and you can go through one after another the reasons. Well, you do it for sympathy. You can hold grudges for sympathy because every time you tell the story, people oh they sympathize with you. But really, you wear out pretty fast with with like you know I'm a I'm a victim story. That's why you have to keep finding new people to tell your story to. These things, grudges, it just don't perform well. Yeah, the job that we. to do. And so they're they're stormtroopers. We want to fire, we want to fire the grudges. We want to get rid of the stormtroopers so that we can actually be present again here and now and use the full intelligence and capability we have to make progress on what's essential.
1: Yeah. I want to I want to ask one other there was one other really powerful quote in the book that I loved. I want to talk to you about this idea and then ask you a couple quick personal questions about the future and we can wrap up. But you know, you you talk about when we focus, this is a quote from the book. When you focus on what you lack, you lose what you have. When you focus on what you have, you get what you lack. As I grow older, the power of these paradoxes in life become very apparent to me. Uh, Again, we're the same age, they become very thought-provoking to me. Talk to us about that paradox that I think is really powerful and insightful uh, from the book.
0: Well, it grew out of um, of perhaps the most important experience of my recent life. Uh, We'd moved to a new area, Kind of north of malibu and it was this really picturesque beautiful area uh more horseways than than roads. yeah uh, white, white picket fences it's uh you know built in the 1950s the whole world moved no one told anyone in this neighborhood it's that kind of a place and uh and our children are just thriving they're just playing with a happy dog they're going biking every day they're playing tennis They you know just life is good a little heaven on earth and particularly Eve, uh, particularly seems to thrive. She's one of my daughters. She's, she's always, she's on the rock climbing team and she's already, always up trees and, and reading endlessly, talking a hundred words a minute, highly enthusiastic, scintillating sense of humor. And then she turns 14 and just everything starts to slow down for her. At first we think it's pretty age appropriate behavior, but it turns out to be a serious neurological disease. Uh, and, but, but still undefined, uh, undiagnosed. And so she's losing capability every day of her life and no one can tell us why. Uh, so she's now suddenly like her personality is gone. Uh, there's no emotional range. So every answer is one word answers. She's becoming more and more comatose. I mean, she's on her way to falling into a coma. I mean, she's Heartbreak. taking like 45 seconds to write three letters of her name, you know? Yeah. Like I've got it on video I mean, she's had, she's had seizures, all sorts of things. And, and as that continues to de- deplete, there's already other things going on in my life. So it's already, you know, it's already, I'm challenged yeah. as it is. I'm being very essentialist in one sense, because I've removed lots of non-essentials, but suddenly you have this, this family crisis. And it just pushes me over like the bounds of what I know and so how what do you do now how do you deal with this and I I found that what came to my mind was that there were two ways of handling the challenge and one is the heavier path and one is the lighter path Uh, I I don't think I knew before it was as clear as that there are two ways of handling these things and um Unfortunately, I mean, the heavier path just looks like complaining all the time about everything that's going on, which is very tempting to do, very easy to do. Uh, feel a victim yourself, hold grudges about from anyone and everyone there are all sorts of ways. You could you could take a situation that's inherently hard and make it even harder, yeah, uh, more complicated. And fortunately, we even became aware of this other lighter path. Um, I mean, it looked like. Um, I mean, it looked like getting into the right state every day myself. I, was, I, I felt prompted to read an article every single day uh, by Gordon B. Hinckley, uh, former president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, and I had read this just once, sort of, I think in my life twice, this little article about optimism and cultivating a, 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 an attitude of happiness and something like that. And I listened to that every day for the four months I'm talking about, almost every day. And it helped me just to even become aware that there was a second path. There was a a way to maintain a good, happy state amidst whatever is going on. Yeah, And that had a catalytic effect uh, because it meant that we could, as a family, we could thrive still. We could be grateful for everything. We could still get around the piano and sing. We could still laugh together. We could still eat dinner together. We could still... Uh, go on walks together. We could still be grateful for any progress with any neurologist. In fact, including the fact that they were willing to meet with us, even though they didn't know anything, and all of that allowed us to be in a state where we could feel little guidance this way and that way about how to actually help Eve. So, it, it, it didn't just feel better; that the state produced specific action, and that specific action produced better results. So this is related. Your state is re- it isn't like if you have great results, you get a great state. It's the other way around. If you have a great state, it affects your actions. It affects your, the results you get. And, uh, and, and that is in the end. In the end, she, she has gone through lots of treatment rounds. But she's, at this time, this conversation, she's doing really well. That's awesome. One of the lessons I learned. Um, every experience has many lessons. But one of them is what you said. But it's worth repeating learned if you focus on what you lack then you will lose what you have yeah and if you focus on what you have you will gain what you lack yeah and that is true whether your daughter is neurologically discombobulated or whether you're in actually a time of success where lots of things are going well for you and in good times and bad in good times and bad, you you want to remember that paradox or that that duality.
1: That's a metaphor that you can like use in life, right? Like, you're, I'm so glad that your daughter Eve is doing better. That I can't imagine. I have one daughter, three boys. You know how heartbreaking and We're heart- opposite. That would be- three,
0: three girls and one boy. So we're opposite. We're the opposite. Go
1: ahead, um, what
0: gonna
1: say? I was just saying that, but that story is a powerful one. That it's kind of a metaphor for all our all our lives, right, and especially maybe when we face challenges in life, big important challenges like you did here with your daughter. When we focus, I love that lighter and heavier path. There's always a lighter way to go or a heavier way to go. And for those who, I hope you'll pick up this book and read it. I love that list, Greg, that you made at the, I think it was the last chapter of like, our family decided we would not do these things. And I'm not going to repeat all of them, but they are powerful things to kind of let go of one of which was, I, we wouldn't try to force the timetable, which I love that, Greg. And then you said, here are the things we're going to do. We will do these things. And again, those were the the simple things that really affected your life in powerful ways. I love that part of the book. Thanks for sharing
0: your story. No, I appreciate that so much. And and so it put in my, I mean, it, this grew out of, uh, you know, how how do you, how do you behave in a way that maximizes the chance of succeeding with Eve in this challenge, but also in a way that you can help her and the family to thrive over a long period of time. Yeah. And, and so we were doing it out of our own sort of survival and, and, and desire to, to be able to thrive amidst even this challenge. But then it grew into this, okay, well, taking some of the things that we discovered here, let's go study this further, let's codify it. And that's, and then the book came out with it. And I, I feel, I feel a real responsibility with what I have found now because, because so many people right now I feel are burdened in various ways yep. after the time of our conversation. I mean, it's almost a year and a half of the pandemic. In the United States, it's definitely starting to open up. We're on the other side of it. But just see right now the, mis- the, the leadership error that is taking place, like literally in publications, in very public ways, where people have misread how tired and burned out people are. So I'm thinking of the WeWork CEO saying publicly, well, I'll tell you how to sell who's most engaged in your company. Uh, it's the people who come to the office every day. It just got it just got obliterated in yeah. you know, social media for this. Yeah. Or you think about the the CEO or managing director of, I don't know the, the actual title, but of the Washingtonians who said basically the same thing, but wrote an op-ed on the same idea saying, look, you know, if you, if you want to, the only way to secure your job in this environment is to be in the office so that you can be seen. And it, it, like all of their editors, like did a walkout and just like wouldn't work for like 24 hours on a Friday. They just were like, no, this is just, they felt so threatened by what was done. And it's not because I think these people were, were somehow in any way malicious. I have no reason to think that whatsoever. It's just a misreading of where people are that, that, that you think, oh, it's open now. Let's go! Everyone's just been like a spring, waiting for this chance. The master off, and things are open. You can Let run go. now. Yeah. But that's not what has been happening to people. They've achieved the results that they have in many instances through um, through very fatiguing, grinding effort. Yeah. And and so you get to the end of this, and people aren't like they aren't dancing around. They're going, yeah, i I'm, I'm I'm worn out. more worn out, as I say, than I think they realize. Well, certainly this new book, Greg,
1: Effortless is timely based on COVID and everything that you've said. We could talk, I could talk to you for hours. I don't know. uh, But it's fascinating. There are so many other good chapters and stories in the book. I won't spoil those for others. As we wrap up here, is there anything, any big thoughts that I missed? I know I miss a lot of them, but anything that you feel like you'd like to say to our listeners about Effortless or life right now? I, I always appreciate what's in the mind of Greg McEwen. so.
0: Oh, I, I think that, um, well, I, maybe I could just leave people with just a few practical things that they can do beyond what we've talked about. Um, I think people can have a done for the day list. Uh, you actually, instead of just having it go six, seven, 10 o'clock at night and you don't know, and you still don't feel like you've done everything you wanted to do, of course you haven't because you can't finish everything that's on your list. But you can have a done for the day list so that you go, okay, these are the things. If I get them done today, I will feel satisfied with my day. I think that's a practical thing. I think setting a time for the end of the day is important in a virtual world for those that are still working virtually. Um, So that mine was five o'clock through the pandemic and it just makes a huge difference for sustainability to not just go well it's six o'clock and seven and ten and and yeah. never stops. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so time for the day. I was like a town crier. I would go out at five o'clock and yell to the whole family. It's five o'clock. You know whatever time <laughs> it actually was. It kept me, uh, kept me, you know, um, uh, kept kept me accountable in that way. Uh, I think. I think uh, one more thing people can do is just just inverting. Uh, the, the, the model with a single question, just instead of saying, listen, I want better results, therefore I'll work harder, just asking, look, how can we make it effortless? Just even asking the question signals a new opp- opportunity. And I, I have now a whole long list of examples of this, uh, of, of both some in the book, but also now examples outside of the book of people that have asked that question and found surprising answers Uh, Basically, what you're doing is you're asking your brain to find a better, smarter, easier strategy. Uh, You're saying, don't change what's essential, but just is there an easier way to do this? Yeah. Essential things, your health. Okay, your health really matters. Well, we all know that. So why aren't people doing it? Well, one of the reasons is to perceive it to be really hard. I just had a conversation with somebody, coaching somebody through this. I said, what's what's one thing that's essential that you're underinvesting in? Well, eating healthy. I mean who can't say that yeah uh they tell me about that what's what, what what you know what makes that hard for you what's the real issue he said well it's particularly eating lunch i don't eat lunch until i'm so hungry that i just go and eat junk food yep yeah But that's his repeated thing that so he is getting a re- re- repeated result he doesn't want to have uh the opposite of an effortless result right yeah. the the I said, okay, how could we make it effortless? What would that even look like? And I didn't have a set of answers. I just thought, well, if we ask the question, we'll start looking for answers together. And he sits for a while and he goes, you know what I could probably do? What I really need is for food to show up every day. At like about 11, 30 or 12. So like right before I'm actually hungry, it's here. Yeah. I said, okay, how, I said, what was the first thing you could do? The very first obvious step you could take to make that happen? He said, um, he said, well, I could call, he said, I could just use one of these apps. You know, I could look for an app that, that does this. I could search for it on Google, like an app that I could set up. And say, okay, that's the first thing. You're going to go to Google search for, for, for you know, delivery, f- food delivery. Yeah. In my area. I said, okay, give me a microburst. Give me 10 minutes. What can you do in 10 minutes? And he like, there's this awkward pause. And he's like, yeah, I think I could do it all. I think I could find the app, download it, put in my credit card, select what food I wanted and the dates that I want them on, like the time and day in 10 minutes. I think I could do it in about 10 minutes. I said, how long have you been struggling with this problem? He's like, yeah, 20 years. (laughs) 20 years. Yeah. The whole 20 years, he's saying the same thing like everyone else. It's so hard. I mean, I want to eat healthy, but it's so hard. Yeah. It's It's so hard to eat healthy. I can't believe it. And in 10 minutes, he has a solution that isn't just going to work once. He sets it up. And within a certain degree of reality, that could, that could happen. I'm not going to say f- literally forever, one time with one app, no. But for a repeated period of time, as long as he signed up for that app, as long as he's in that same location, this problem can be solved. There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, we think it's so hard. We think it has to be so hard. And that's one of the reasons it perpetuates a sense of it being hard. There are, if you can invert the question, a lot of really low hanging fruit to be able to make great progress on the things that matter most.
1: I think you just summed up, Greg, what I love about your work. I, I realized it as you were talking. To me, it's very thought-provoking on a philosophical level to just think about life and and to take inventory. But then it's also very practical. I love that about your writing. I love that about the the research and work that you're doing is that you have these simple. What is the simple next step that you can take? It's very practical in our life as well. Greg, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you had a good time. It was good to be with you.
0: Great to be with you. Thank you, Jeff.
1: Thanks, Greg. What's up, guys? Thanks so much for hanging with us. That is the first ever Zoom podcast that I've hosted. And there was a little bit of latency, a little bit of challenge. I love the energy of being in person, but it was so good to have Greg here with us, dropping knowledge and wisdom, important stuff. Uh, Three things that stuck out to me. Number one, you're either burnt out and don't know it, or burn out and acknowledge that. He believes that all of us are burnt out. It makes sense after this hard year that we've been through with COVID-19. What can you do to replenish yourself? Number two, I loved how he spoke about ROE, that simple equation, return on energy. What is the return of energy I get from doing this? This is actually one of the reasons I podcast. I love being with people, talking to them, discussing ideas. It brings a lot of energy to me, the promotion and the production, not so much. I spoke to Greg for a little bit after two, and these are the two, he, he gave me this advice and I'm passing it on to you. Here are the two questions to ask yourself whenever you're faced with a new challenge or potential responsibility or whatever it may be. So the next time this faces you, ask these two things. Number one, is it essential? And then number two, can you make it effortless? If it is essential in your own mind frame and what's important to you, and you can make it effortless, the return on your energy put into that task or project or responsibility will be unbelievable. If you can't answer those two questions, you might want to think about taking that responsibility on, especially if it's not essential. Love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your support. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Extraordinary Us Podcast with Jeff Birmingham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week. Hey guys, what's up? It's Jeff. And Sal. I'm here with my wife. Why? Because we're starting a podcast together.
0: Yes, we are.
1: And it's called? Under Our Bed. Why is it called that, Sally? Because we are sitting under our bed right now. We are. In this podcast Yes. And we're going to be talking about things that are interesting, vulnerable, relevant. Funny. So check it out. (laughs) funny if you're on (laughs) (laughs) so check it out wherever you get your podcast wherever you listen to the extraordinary us look for under our bed with jeff and sal check it out good night good night